Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Bootleg Football Podcast, NFC East Draft Recap Edition. Uh, I hope and pray that we get as much salt in the comments for this one as I'm expecting, because NFC East fans, on average, are the saltiest bunch in the NFL. And if you disagree with them on that, uh, well, I I pray for you, because uh, these are people that pride themselves on how much they hate each other. And I guarantee you at least 60% of the listeners for this podcast are solely listening because of how much they hate everybody else's team and they're secretly hoping that we bash on them. But I don't think we will because all four of these teams had, I think, varying degrees of excellent drafts, including the Giants and our friend Dave Gettleman, who we love to bag on so much. Even he did well. So I welcome all of you salty-ass NFC East draft fans I uh, hope you guys are, are ready for a, a nice long podcast breaking down what we loved and what we uh, sort of didn't love about your individual classes. I'm going to welcome in my co-host here, EJ Snyder. EJ, how you doing and what are you drinking? We're getting to talk about football and that is always the best part of my week. So I'm doing extremely well and that might have something to do with what I'm drinking. This is something I introduced you to, but um, listeners of my other podcast, Bears Over Beers, will be familiar with this, but this is probably a new one for the bootleggers. Uh, this is called a Diver Down, and you take oh, your God. favorite... <laughs> oh, God. Oh, the reaction. You're doing um, so this I... at 10 at night? <laughs> I am. I am. Uh, so I introduced Brett to these when I was down at his house in Southern California. And this is take your favorite Mexican lager. Uh, a lot of people will choose a Corona, Corona here. I will I will say, please don't choose a Corona light um, if you can get away with it. Mine happens to be a Pacifico. Um, anyways, your favorite clear Mexican lager. And uh, typically in bottles is how this is done. Uh, pop the cap off that bottle and put a float of about one ounce of Bacardi Limon, uh, which is uh, lemon rum, uh, on the top. Put your finger on the top of the bottle, flip that thing upside down, suck a little bit of the pressure out of that, and you have a delicious summer beverage. However, it comes with a caveat. Be extremely careful. It's greater than the sum of its parts. It goes down very easily, especially when the weather's hot, and it's two drinks in every bottle not one at that point. <laughs> so if you have about three diver downs, you're probably going to be down yourself or at least not caring if that might happen. So drink responsibly. It's a delicious beverage. Um, you're welcome. And you've been warned. Yeah. He says one ounce, but I promise you, you fill the entire neck of a Corona with rum. 
uh, and or vodka, whichever uh, citrus flavored hard alcohol you want. Uh, yeah, you're you're going to be feeling it. I, I really hope that uh, you don't have plans for the rest of the day if you're doing diver downs on a hot day because you're not going to make whatever those plans are. Guarantee it. Trust me. I know firsthand. Uh, I, I have a, I guess I could say slightly less dangerous drink in my hand right now. Uh, says you, <laughs> says me from, uh, good folks over at the Virginia, Virginia, excuse me, distillery company. Uh, they are a craft distillery in the Virginia Highlands who specializes in American single malt whiskeys, which is basically scotch in terms of ingredients and process, but not made in Scotland. Uh, I have their port cask finish, which, well, I should say this. It's, to the best of my knowledge, it's a mix of their American single malt that they distill in-house, and then they source also some Highland-style scotch, and they age both of them together in a blend in a port, uh, export barrels. So it kind of has the same port finish with some American-grown single malt, uh, American-grown barley single malt and then uh some scotch or single malt scotch from the highland region so it's it's got some american influence it has some scotch influence with the port cask finish and all of that comes together in a beautiful harmony of dark fruit and smoke little hint of barrel spice phenomenal job by them uh highly recommend you go to the virginia distillery company online see if they ship to your state or if you're in virginia just go to whatever your local liquor store is because they probably have it and i know we have uh probably a lot of uh dc and and virginia natives listening to this pod considering we're doing the nfc east so uh highly recommend you guys try it but uh we're gonna start off tonight with a, a man that we've loved to rag on for the entirety of this show's existence the last couple months and that's dave gettleman because I think, for the first time in BFP history, we are going to be singing his praises. He did a really damn good job on this draft for the Giants. Yeah, generally, uh, folks that have followed me for a while understand that I give Dave Gettleman a lot of what I would call justified crap for the decisions he makes. Because he makes a lot of crap decisions. And generally, I don't bag on people in the NFL. I don't really think it's good for business, but... Gettleman's decisions have been bordering on negligence in several cases. This draft, however, as you said, didn't happen that way. Um, Not the case in this draft. He was really solid. He and his staff did great work. I actually ended up sitting behind them at the Senior Bowl, and I texted my other podcast co-host a picture of Dave Gettleman, and I said, I'm sitting right behind Dave Gettleman. Pray for me. (laughs) I don't want to hurt him. JP was like just laughing because I'm notorious for for being hard on Dave G. Um, But this draft happened to line up and unfold really well with what he likes to do. And he drove it right down the middle of the fairway. You got to take the gifts when they come to you. And he did. He loves offensive linemen. He loves defensive linemen. He stayed away from those. He's been pretty heavy on those in previous drafts. Um, And then they needed to reload linebacker. And he did that as well. Threw in a couple of other players that we'll talk about. But honestly, for what happened in front of him and what he could have done to screw it up he avoided all those pitfalls and he deserves credit for that and quite frankly the Giants are going to benefit yeah I'll, I'll give a quick rundown uh 
for the people that aren't watching on YouTube that don't see the graphic on screen of all their picks, I'll, I'll give you a quick rundown verbally here. Uh, round one, Andrew Thomas, left tackle out of Georgia. Round two, Xavier McKinney, a kind of do-it-all safety from Alabama that played, I mean, literally almost every spot in that defense you can think of. Uh, he played the Minka Fitzpatrick type role where it's nickel, it's deep safety, it's box safety, it's dime linebacker. He did everything but outside corner, really. Uh, so he do it all safety for them in round two. Round three, Matt Parrott, a super duper long tackle out of Connecticut that has some really high upside. Round four, Darnay Holmes, one of my favorite kind of, uh, I guess you could say a more of a pure nickel in this class uh, out of UCLA, again, saw him down at the Senior Bowl, did a really, really nice job that week against a lot of great receivers. Round five, Shane Lemieux, one of our favorite guards, uh, especially for a fifth-round value. Uh, round six, Cam Brown, a little bit more of a, I don't want to say controversial linebacker pick. He has some staunch fans, and he has some very hardcore haters. I'm kind of more in the middle where I can see both sides of the argument, but uh, I mean, for a six round pick, whatever. Round seven, Carter Coughlin, one of your guys, uh, TJ Brunson. Also, uh, I know you watched him. I did not, uh, so I don't really have an opinion on him. Chris Williamson out of Minnesota in round seven, and then their fourth seventh round pick was Tay Crowder. Uh, linebacker, linebacker, excuse me, out of Georgia, one of those other linebackers you alluded to. So uh, a very much... As you said, this was a double in the gap kind of class. Uh, not a whole lot of home runs, but man, they're they're moving base runners. That's for damn sure. I don't really see any picks that I actively dislike. And I think at minimum, uh, they probably got four starters out of this class, which if you can get four starters, it's a pretty damn good class. Uh, I do want to start with Andrew Thomas. Was he my highest rated tackle? No. But at the same time, they need excellent pass protection above all else. And even though I had higher overall grades on Jed Wills and Makai Becton, Andrew Thomas is a phenomenal pass protector. He's much further along than Tristan Wirfs, who was connected to them for a long time. Um, from a technical perspective and length and power and everything like that, Like he's he's going to start for them for a decade. And, and I think if you're getting a decade... Uh, solid starter at a premium position. It doesn't really matter if you had somebody else graded higher. Like you're still getting a great player. So for me, I don't I don't hate the Andrew Thomas pick because he's still a really damn good player, even if he wasn't my highest graded tackle. Yeah, I think Andrew Thomas is great. And you mentioned Werfs, right? So the top four tackles, you mentioned all of them. And for Gettleman, I'm actually kind of glad that he avoided Werfs in this spot at pick four. Now, if he'd traded down, all bets are off. But at four, I don't think Werfs was a great fit for what they really needed. And you alluded to that with the pass protection. Werfs is not there yet. And quite frankly, he might end up as a really, really tremendous and athletic guard in the sort of physical marvel Kyle Long type, Kyle Long in his prime mode. Uh, might not even end up as tackle. They'll probably, again, Werfs will probably get a, a shot at tackle, but Andrew Thomas, definitely a tackle. Definitely a great pass protector with length. All those Jake Fromm highlights that you watched in quarterback scouting, <laughs> like Andrew Thomas was one of the two guys um, that was protecting his blind side. And that is going to be really good news for Daniel Jones and really, quite frankly, the rest of the Giants offense. So, 
a somewhat of a chalk pick. Uh, I think he would have been, I think Gettleman would have reached a little bit more to go for Werfs. Thomas is a much more sort of, like you said, double in the gap, solid right down the middle of the fairway. Like we got a guy, he's going to do the thing we need. There's not a lot of work to do there. Uh, that's just a great start for the Giants draft. And, and McKinney, I think, uh, Xavier McKinney from Alabama is the same kind of thing where it's like, does he have the range to play center field? No. Is he uh, an amazing open field tackler? No. Um, you know, is he super big and physical? Like, he's he's good in terms of physicality, but he's not like a, a Cam Chancellor type or you know, any of those like super, like he's not even a, a Kyle Duggar, I think in terms of like his ability to come downhill and smack you. But what he is, is really exceptionally gifted uh, in terms of recognizing offenses and putting himself in the right position. Like he is very, very, very smart. And if you're trusted to call a Nick Saban defense, that alone makes you one of the smarter safeties in your class. Um, there was a, I think it was against LSU, if I remember correctly, there was a play uh, that was pointed out to me, and it was kind of uh, enigmatic of what he is, where he's playing a sail technique, and if you don't know what a sail technique is, it's you're, you're playing zone, and you're carrying a receiver up the seam with outside leverage, so you're playing outside of the receiver going up the seam while looking at the quarterback and keeping the receiver in your kind of peripheral vision as you carry them up the seam. Before Joe Burrow even looked to the flat, he saw the release of the running back out to the flat and knew that if Burrow saw him carrying the seam, he was immediately going to check to the flat because there was nobody there. So he wheeled off the receiver and immediately broke on the flat before Joe even looked there and threw it. Joe didn't even see him look at the receiver. Um, and, and he still got there in the flat on time and he missed the tackle. I'll say that that's part of the Xavier McKinney experience. Well, <laughs> he'll put himself in the perfect position and then screw it up by missing the tackle, which is why he wasn't a first round pick to me, but it's rare to find a safety that can not just process his responsibility, but also process how a quarterback sees his responsibility and where he's going to go. And so I think if he can improve himself as a tackler, he can be an excellent starting safety in this defense even if he's limited athletically um again that's just the one thing i want him to clean up but mentally speaking he's the smartest safety in this class to me yeah mckinney gives new york a really quality defender in the sort of new mold of a positionless db right it's is he the idea of is he free is he strong is he a nickel the answer is yeah does he play free very well (laughs) No, he doesn't, and he didn't do it that often. He would start a game there, and then Saban would move him down, but not just down to strong safety. Again, like you said, dimebacker, strong safety, straight-up nickel routes where he's pure slot man coverage, um, covering backs and tight ends in the flat. He does all that sort of intermittently, um, and Maiden would come in behind him and play free safety and allow him to do that. So he's got great versatility and range, and I think that's they're going to be able to use that. A lot of folks had suggested perhaps they should take Isaiah Simmons and use him in the same sort of role. I think McKinney gives them a similar type of value, but a full round later. And that's, again, waiting for the draft to unfold and picking up good value. Do I love his tackling? I don't. Um, but 
I do love his smarts. I do love his speed, quite frankly, uh, in the underneath. He is very quick to close and gets himself, like you said, in the right place at the right time. Whether he finishes that play is another matter, uh, but generally it's not just going to be one-on-one him versus somebody else. And there will be a couple of times, hang on Giants fans, there will be a couple of times when it's just McKinney, everybody else is accounted for, and he misses the guy. I guarantee it's going to happen. Will it happen all that often? I don't think it will. Hopefully, like Brett said, it cleans up a little bit in terms of his tackling, but he is going to make more plays than he misses. He is a very smart defender, and we don't want to I don't think we want to give the impression that he's physically limited. He's not slow. This is not a plodding guy that runs like he's got a piano he's on his back. just average, I'll say. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. average, but against SEC athletes, that's pretty darn good. <laughs> and it will hold up in the pros. So um, it's a good pick for them. I think it's a good spot to get him. Again, if you were going to get McKinney in the first round, you're probably sort of overdrafting him for his overall game. Uh, but where they got him is great. After that, they go... Round three, pick 99, Matt Peart. We had talked about this after day one of the live stream. We're like, what if Gettleman gets? And we didn't say Peart. It was another tackle. It was Josh uh, Jones, I think, right? It was Josh Jones out of Houston. We said, what if Josh Jones is there and he takes him too? Right? And we both went, I don't don't hate that, right? The Giants (laughs) could use two good tackles, and that would be a value. Well, Josh Jones off the board. Matt Peart, really the next player uh, available there. And... I think it gives them two guys that have a serious chance to start as bookend tackles for quite a while. Pert, more more work to do than Thomas currently. Um, and right after that, they get Shane Lemieux. I mean, it is the fifth, but we talked about the fourth being a sweet spot for guards. And he really just reloads the entire offensive line. Honestly, picks up three guys that can start on the offensive line in Thomas, Pert, and Lemieux. Um, and rebuilds the front in front of daniel jones which they needed to do desperately and the other pick there the balance pick after pert is round four pick 110 darnate holmes the guy you love uh out of ucla really who i thought he was very good you were higher on him than i was but i thought he was very good he had an excellent excellent week at the senior bowl question was is he going to play outside is he going to play in the slot ucla he played a little bit more outside but in the pros he's probably a slot Showed that he could hang. This is one of the guys that Dion loves, right? He attended Dion's camp, won the sort of MVP of Dion's defensive back camp. Um, so that speaks, you know, to you, depending on what you think of Dion as a defensive back, tend to hold him in pretty high regard. I think he has a decent eye for that position in terms of talent. So we're talking about within the first five picks, Dave Gettleman pretty much completely reloads the offensive line for the Giants and gives the secondary a major infusion of talent with both McKinney and Holmes. Not bad. That's rounds one through five for the Giants. And after that, we're talking about lottery picks. And they really tend to focus, or at least they did in this draft, on linebacker. Um, four out of the last five picks are linebackers. Um, you can kind of tell that they need to reload. They had signed Blake Martinez as a free agent this offseason, and they go shotgun here. They get Cam Brown from Penn State, Carter Coughlin from Minnesota, TJ Brunson from South Carolina, and then Tate Crowder to finish it out towards the end of round seven from Georgia. Cam Brown, very lengthy defender. Um, 
shows some real showed some real flashes at Penn State in terms of ability to close, um, ability to use his length to tackle. The major limitation, I was really excited to see him at the Senior Bowl when I really dug into his tape after that. The major limitation I came up with is change of direction. If you ask Cam Brown to change direction, sort of reverse course in the middle of the field, he's probably going to get beat. He's not great there physically, um, but he can run side to side. He's more of a straight line player and again, really tall, really lengthy. Um, There's some tools there to work with. In the sixth round, Mm -hmm. if he hits go for it Oh yeah huge huge value yeah carter coughlin a guy we talked to uh three times at the senior bowl a guy that played more edge for minnesota but uh a lot of people were projecting him to inside linebacker and he when i talked to him was really i said what are you what are you trying to improve what are you trying to build as you get ready for the draft here and he said hey i look i took the month in between our last regular season game and our bowl game and i just hung out with our defensive backs coach and I said, teach me about coverage, right? I know I'm going to have to cover more in the pros. Teach me about leverage. Teach me about alignment. Teach me about reading keys. And had really worked really hard on his pass coverage. Was sick as a dog, it turned out, the week of the Senior Bowl. We didn't know that. and was still making plays. Yeah. And just a very versatile guy. It'll be fascinating to figure out what their plan is for him. We talked about this with Isaiah Simmons, right? That whoever was going to pick him was going to need a plan. Is he this or is he this? If you try and make him do too much in the early season of, you know, his rookie year, it's probably going to be a stretch and he's going to struggle. Coughlin could be the same way. Sort of pick a role and either make him an edge rusher. He has some edge talent. I I remember reviewing getting up early on a Wednesday at the Senior Bowl and reviewing his film because I thought, who is this guy? And, um, you know, he made a bunch of plays on tape. T- thought, talented ah. tackles will lock like guys that can oh, move yeah. will lock him up. Like he's yeah. not. There's a reason he went in the seventh. Yeah, right? yeah. But he's got some versatility and could sort of cover a couple of roster spots. Again, as a seventh round pick, that's value, right? Can definitely play on special teams. But if you get a guy that could come in, even if they do play him in the middle. And with those newfound skills, play a little bit more coverage. He is fast. He is more athletic and change of direction than Cam Brown. I could see him, you know, carving out a roster spot on this team. The guy they pick after him, TJ Brunson, you said you didn't watch him. I did. Um, much more classic. He's in the Blake Martinez mold. And we we both have an opinion about Blake Martinez. Yeah, yeah um, we do. I think he's largely going to be like a Blake Martinez understudy. That's what I see out of TJ Brunson. A little more classic thumper rugged inside linebacker not tremendous in coverage um not tremendous as a rusher okay as a blitzer there's a difference there um but i really think this guy comes in and tries to sort of carve out a role on special teams and probably backs up blake martinez in that more sort of heavy first two down linebacker role that um dave gettleman still has love for and the rest of the league has kind of passed by yeah i i do want to add a, a couple notes here uh as i also kind of roll through these guys um shane lemieux is probably not going to get to start this year because their current starting guards are will hernandez and kevin zeitler but if either one of them goes down i have the utmost confidence that he can step in and i don't want to say not miss a beat but he that like that is a very very drop off is a lot more shallow yeah this the swing guard potential for him uh is is extremely high and he doesn't make either of those other guys expendable, but he gives a little bit of security to Daniel Jones that your offensive line is not going to completely fall apart if you lose a guard. 
Um, and then Parrot, I think, is also like Andrew Thomas is probably going to beat out Nate Solder for left tackle. Uh, I would be shocked if he didn't. But Parrot, I think, also can beat out Fleming for right tackle. So, you know, there's a high chance they're going to be starting two rookies at both tackle spots. But the offensive line is still going to be much improved and the depth is better. Uh, on Darnay Holmes, I wanted to give a, a little note here. A, his movement skills are spectacular. Not great long speed, but in terms of fluidity and footwork, I mean, he is a born nickel. He's like the ideal nickel. Uh, and zone awareness is high. He's an extremely smart kid. Keep in mind, he graduated from UCLA in less than three years. He is freaking brilliant. Like, he trains with a chess coach in his free time because he wants to train his mind on how to think ahead, knowing when to attack, how to set traps. Like, he's a very tactical personality, that's also just extremely, extremely smart, uh, almost intimidatingly smart. But Chip Kelly loved him for that. Uh, and Joe Judge, who considers Chip Kelly a close friend of his, uh, and also keep in mind, Joe Judge is, is pretty damn smart in his own right. He's like he could get his Ph.D. right now if he wanted to. He just has to finish his dissertation. But I mean, he did everything else you need to get a Ph.D. Uh, so he's he's an extremely smart guy himself. So uh, I think he respects the intelligence of Darnay Holmes and just throwing that on top of his movement skills and technical development like that's that that dude's going to play in New York for a really, really long time. He's going to be a high level nickel uh, and he's probably going to be one of the better interviews on the team for a long time, too, because he's he's a really good dude. And he, man, he's smart. I, I, I love every time hearing Darnay Holmes speak like I, I really do. He's he's a magnetic personality that is brilliant. So I think he's going to be a fan favorite in New York. Um, and then after Darnay Holmes, uh, I mentioned Shane Lemieux, Cam Brown, Carter Coughlin. Like I'm in complete agreement. Like it's it's boomer bust for Cam Brown. But I think he could probably at least carve a role on special teams as a rookie. And then Carter Coughlin, I think it just kind of depends on how they use him. But there's some tools there for him to play multiple positions. And then um, I don't really have any strong opinions on Williamson or Crowder. They're probably camp bodies is my best estimation. But looking at the class as a whole... If you're getting a starting left tackle, a starting right tackle, a starting nickel, a starting safety slash whatever the hell Xavier McKinney's going to be, <laughs> um, a, a high-level swing guard that could honestly start for probably a lot of teams, but he just won't in New York because of who their current guards are, and then probably just a bunch of special teamers and high upside guys at the linebacker on day three, like very, very, very solid class for Dave Gettleman. Um, maybe no true superstars in it, but at minimum, some high level starters that I think are going to be, uh, a core part of their talent for a very, very long time. Yeah. They, they definitely cleaned up in a way that they haven't in a while. And just one note about their drafting tendencies. Cause that's always interesting. They really went chalk on selecting players from bigger schools. Parrot from Connecticut was really their only stray from the more classic football factories, you know, they got players from Georgia and Bama and South Carolina and the Big Ten. 
they really didn't go very far off the beaten path. You'll see some teams, especially in the later rounds, really go towards um, smaller schools, uh, Division II. Um, not not the case with this year's Giants class, but a very, very solid class. And we're just going to move geographically down the coast a little bit uh, and talk about Philadelphia. Yeah, this is... Um, uh... A touchy subject. <laughs> it's a touchy I was waiting subject. for how you were going to frame that. And that was about like I figured you'd frame it, which is, yeah. uh, uh, we have to talk about this now. See, Eagles fans are fascinating to me because I, if I, <laughs> yes. see, I happen to like the class and it's funny because then they'll chirp at me on Twitter and say how much they hate the class. And then even if I agreed with them and said, oh, I hate the class too. Like, if let's just say I pretend I agree with them and say I hate the class. Then they come back and be like, hey, screw you, man. Howie knows yeah. what he's doing. Like, <laughs> contrarian till they die. And I love them for that. Uh, but Eagles fans, man, you guys got to calm down. Like, it's a good class. Jalen Rager, I get it. You love Justin Jefferson. You love Denzel Mims. There's some T. Higgins fans out there. I get it. But when you look at the offense they're building, I literally did a film room episode on this a couple weeks ago. Go watch that. They're trying to be the Chiefs. Howie Roseman has cons- like consistently cited the Chiefs uh, in terms of how to build a roster throughout this offseason, which is speed, 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 speed. Like If you can run four verts as much as humanly possible because you have a whole bunch of guys that run 4-4 four, four or better, do it. Because guess what? When you when you have that much speed, it doesn't matter if they're playing zone coverage or man coverage. Everything turns into man coverage when you got four guys running 40 yards down the field. You know, like at some point, you're going to have to overload the safeties. You're just going to run by corners, like turn everything into a track meet. And if you have enough guys that can win the track meet, you're going to put up points. That's how KC does it. And that's how the Eagles want to do it. So you take Jalen Rager, who has legit 4-3 speed. I don't care what he ran at the combine. Like, we know he runs 4-3. Uh, after he dropped some weight, like, and he got back to his actual playing weight, guess what? He ran 4-3 again. I know. Funny how that works. But legit deep threat. Um, he didn't run a full route tree, but the routes he did run, he was really good at them. Uh, he had some concentration drops, but he also flashed some really good ball skills on jump balls. Um, you know, shades of Steve Smith in terms of a competitiveness with the ball in the air for a smaller receiver. Not saying he's Steve Smith, but it, on a few of those jump balls, he sure as hell looked like it. Um, but in terms of fitting the philosophy they want to build of being able to attack down the field and also attack in space with the quick game, that's what Jalen Rigger is. And he fit that better than Justin Jefferson and Denzel Mims and T Higgins and all those other receivers. So, you know, I don't I don't want to hear it that, oh, they took the guy with the lower grade. For what they want, they took the guy with the highest grade. I, I promise you that. He is what they want and what they needed. Yeah, Rigger is a very skilled receiver. He has that deep speed for sure, but that is not all he is by far. He is very solidly built. Not as physical as Steve Smith. I don't know if you saw that highlight tape on on Twitter that came out of Steve Smith's sort of more physical moments in the league. And it just reminded me like how physical Steve Smith was. Rager is physical. He's not that physical, um, but definitely plays bigger than his size on jump balls. His routes are sharper than a guy like KJ Hamler. 
Uh, he's more solidly built than a guy like KJ Hamler. He is a complete receiver for college. Obviously, he has to make some adjustments to the pros, but he brings a lot to the table for Doug Peterson and his offense. Um, this next pick, I don't know. There's been some conversation about it. Um, you have any thoughts? <laughs> so I, I'm i a believer in the philosophy of you're only as good as your worst quarterback, meaning you know you can have a really good roster around you, but if your quarterback takes one bad hit to the knee, guess what? Your season's over if you don't have a plan. And Carson Wentz, while he was healthy last year, and he's only averaged two missed games a season, which isn't that bad, but those two games can be the difference between, say, getting home field advantage or being a wild card team. Like, there's usually not that big a difference between the first seed and the sixth seed in terms of overall record. Like, it's it's rare uh, to, to have, like, a 13 and three versus nine and seven. Like a lot of the times, like this past year going down to week 17, like we saw the 49ers and Seahawks, both like they could have either been the first seed or like the fifth or sixth seed, you know, w- with one game in week 17. So again, if you, if you risk having a subpar backup quarterback, even if you don't lose your quarterback for the season, that can still wreck your season if you don't have a plan and so you say this to me as a bears fan (laughs) yes the irony is not lost on me (laughs) okay good and we continue (laughs) but you know howie roseman in his interview since the draft has cited all of the seasons it wasn't just the nick Foles year all of the seasons were backup quarterbacks going back to the donovan McNabb years you know michael vick came in as a backup like all the times they won their division because they had a competent backup that could either win a couple games for them or just finish the season strong for them like nick Foles did you know if they have a competent backup last year against the seahawks when carson went out there's a decent chance they could have won that game now would they have lost the next week with all the injuries they had yeah probably but still I would hate to have that team, if they were healthy, get bounced out of the playoffs because they didn't have an answer for if Carson Wentz took a bad forearm shiver from J.B. and Clowney. Like, you have to protect yourself from the freak scenario. And in the grand scheme of things, I think a second-round pick is worth that, especially when you look at some of the higher-paid backups around the league. Marcus Mariota's making $9 million a year. Jalen Rager is making or uh, not Jalen Rager, the other Jalen, Jalen Hurts, <laughs> is making almost nothing. Like you're getting yeah. a high-quality backup quarterback for basically no money, which means you can use that $9 million on something else for the roster that you need. I know a lot of people are begging for corner, whatever. Like That gives you cap flexibility for the following years to use that money elsewhere. And I think he was probably the third best quarterback in this class behind Burrow and Tua. I thought he was better than Jordan Love. I thought he was better than, um, God, who's the kid? Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert. Like, he's a really, really good quarterback. Like, historically accurate quarterback. Like, don't don't make the mistake of thinking that freshman Jalen Hurts at Alabama that couldn't throw the football is the same Jalen Hurts as he is now. He was top three in the country in downfield accuracy percentage in back-to-back years. Like, even when he was at Alabama as a backup, he played significant snaps because they were blowing everybody out, and he led the country. Like, he, his accuracy percentage, his on-target accuracy percentage that year at Alabama was higher than Joe Burrows was this past year. Like, he is an accurate, 
quarterback. He's mobile. He's tough. He's a leader. He's dirt freaking cheap. And if Carson Wentz takes a bad hit and has to miss a game or two, which statistically, again, he averages two missed games a year over the first four years of his career, Jalen Hurts can win you games, keep you in the hunt for the first or second seed, get you home field advantage. When Carson comes back, again, Carson's an MVP caliber quarterback. Jalen's not going to take his job, but he can protect the Eagles from the worst case scenario. And for the price of a second round pick, that's worth it. I don't care what Eagles fans have to say about it. You're wrong. Protecting your roster from the worst case scenario is worth a second round pick. I get it. I would love a corner too. But a corner is not going to help you if you're having to start some scrub backup quarterback because Carson goes down. It That corner does not outweigh having a good backup quarterback. It just flat out doesn't. Yeah, almost nothing outweighs quarterback in the NFL. And there are times and places to call you know too far or too much in the pursuit of that. But not many because the balance is you don't have it, you don't get it, and you don't get any farther. And that's the bottom line in the NFL. I know a lot of fans hated this. I think it's a perfect move if Carson can't stay healthy or if he takes that bad hit. The Eagles have a proven leader who's improved at every stop, at every step of the way. He has shown the ability to be a captain, be a leader, uh, improve his own physical skills, hold his surrounding cast to a higher standard. That It's just a perfect description for a backup quarterback. Again, is he going to be a starter? And I think that's what a lot of Philly fans get hung up on is, oh, is this guy here to take Carson Wentz's job? If not, then X. Well, no. Um, he's not there to do that. I don't think anybody had the plan that he should. However, if Carson's out of the picture for any length of time, Hertz gives you a much better option uh, than a lot of things that were available at a much cheaper cost, as you said. So it's, I think, a very large gap that he steps into that he can fill for the Eagles for quite a few years. And that, like you said, definitely worth a second-round pick. One more thing I forgot to say about Rager. The player that should probably love the Rager pick most on the Eagles roster is Miles Sanders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because no, no Rager's going to pull boxes. those defenses <laughs> so far that they're not going to be able to effectively stack the box. And if they do, he's going to punish them. And Miles Sanders has got to be laughing his way to the bank um, based on those moves alone. So you talked about them going after speed. And in round three, they do exactly that. They go after Davion Taylor, the outside linebacker from Colorado. I thought it was a little early for Taylor. His speed is tremendously impressive as a linebacker. Oh, yeah. He's a little bit light, and I don't think his processing is right there. He's got eye-popping run speed, but his processing speed and his attack mentality, I put in the sort of still-developing category. And at his size, that's a big deal. He's 225. He's going to need both of those things to improve before he's a regular full-time contributor on defense. If he does, if he's able to improve those things, the ability to attack and, again, that mental processing speed to say, I can use this run speed to its full ability to get there and hit somebody, um, he'll be a very valuable pick. I thought it was a little bit early, certainly more early, uh, earlier than I was comfortable picking him, but I see what they're trying to do. Again, if you are going to build a track team, you better get ready to defend a track team, and Davion Taylor has speed to do that. Um, the guy they picked after that, I thought was actually a sort of 
more in line pick with what they're trying to build. And that's Kayvon Wallace, the safety. He's also a better player. (laughs) Yeah, I would agree with that. Again, we talk pretty often about this question you ask me all the time. Hey, if you swapped the positions that they were drafted in, would you be more comfortable with it? And quite frankly, in this case, I would. If you pick Kayvon Wallace ahead of Davion Taylor, I think I feel better about Taylor and better about Wallace. Wallace gives the Eagles a really versatile defensive back that they can move around to account for matchups. And the NFL is a matchup league. And although he's listed as a safety, and that's largely where he played at Clemson, some of his best reps on tape that I saw were as a true nickel slot defender, where he was Mm -hmm. lined up on the slot in man, and he is excellent at man coverage out of the slot. Like, I would say if you had called him again with a label a nickel corner he would have been the top nickel corner in this class like he or at least one of them re- yeah there's several good nickels in this class but he would have been way up there um if he had specialized in that one sort of specialty or position he's physical um as long as they don't rely on him to play a lot of single high i think he's a valuable starter that you can move around nickel is the new base so again he is a starter in base probably by mid-season for them and re- I mean, he's really good hips, really good feet. Um, I-, I think his ability to mirror routes from a two-way go again in the slot, which is a crucial. Like you can't just you know play inside technique and and then say okay, run everything outside. Like you you have to be able to take routes in either direction, unless you're in like a Mike Zimmer type system where all their nickels just play outside and then funnel everything into the linebackers. But not every system's like that. Like most systems, like you have to play head up on the slot receiver and then mirror in either direction. Um, And he can do that. His one problem, he struggles to catch the football. Uh, There was a lot of potential interceptions potential huge plays he could have made where i mean again he uses those feet and hips and technique and you know eye discipline and all that stuff and he he gets to the ball and then dropped it so i i really want to see him finish more plays at the nfl level but at least it's encouraging to me that he's getting pbus even if the pbus are dropped ints but uh at least he's getting to the ball so again for a fourth round pick you're getting a very high quality nickel i do wonder how they're going to be using all of the other nickel type guys on their roster because just like chicago it seems like they have like four or five of them but uh that's that's a problem for them to solve another day i guess because i mean shit they just they have a good football player on the roster now, so I can't really argue against it that much. Um, Jack Driscoll. So I saw something interesting that I guess they're thinking about putting him at center, even though he was a tackle. Hmm. I hadn't heard. I can. Well, give your thoughts on Driscoll. And I'll look it up. Just maybe I'm. Uh, I didn't have a ton of thoughts on Driscoll. I thought he was sort of a third-tier offensive tackle, which is about where you're going to get to in round four, especially in this draft where there was a run very quickly. There was a lot of – we talked about this being a very solid draft for tackles, and it was, um, but a lot of them went early, and we talked about that in our uh, review last episode of the Dolphins pick. Um out of USC, they went a little bit early because they had to. They had to grab a tackle because the shelf was coming. They were going to drop off to the next tier, and they really needed somebody that could start. So they went after Jackson as a tackle. Um, I don't know that the Eagles were in a similar position, but again, the value of tackle was um, a little bit um, 
inflated as it typically is. And if you wanted to get somebody that you wanted to contribute, you're probably going to have to pick them about a round early. That's kind of how I felt about Driscoll. Um, maybe they felt better about him um, as the quote unquote. Uh, it's funny because they picked two tackles from Auburn and I actually thought the other one was better, but he had injury concerns. And we'll talk about Prince Tego Winogo uh, in the round in round six when we get there. Um, what'd you find out about center? Anything good? Yeah, I'm reading. And I guess he, he, during the off season, because he had a few months to work with, um, he taught himself how to snap and, and kind of the, the different footwork and, and hand placement that comes with being a center before the pro day. And then he did it the pro day and the Eagles like what they saw. So they're, they're kind of keeping that in their back pocket of having him kind of be a swing everything. Uh, like not just swing tackle or swing yeah. guard, but also potentially a center. Like just whoever goes down, he can do it. Uh, which I don't recall the last time I saw I... Any, anybody do that. But yeah, I guess... that's like a five-tool offensive lineman. I'm not sure that I can think of another player that could do that really, really well. Maybe um... Larry Allen. <laughs> But that's well, about maybe, it. <laughs> but I don't know that Larry could have played center like he was. Anyways, he probably could have. I wouldn't put much past Larry Allen. But I, I guess he looked like a natural, and the Eagles were like, "Oh, okay, hello." Like that's well, something I mean, we can uh, use. um, that's not true. Uh, Whitehair. Oh, that's true. Cody Cody Whitehair. Yeah, because he played tackle at Kansas State. Did it very very well. I actually thought the Bears probably should have or could have played him at tackle. Uh, they moved him to guard during the preseason and then famously right at the end of his first preseason said, oh, nope, we're going to have you play center and literally uh, started him at center in his first NFL game. So uh, I guess one other example I can think of, but it's not very common. I mean, that's but for sure. still, I mean, if he if he if he even is 90 or 80 percent of Cody Whitehair in the fourth round, that's. Oh, it'd be tremendous that. value. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that all day. That'd be uh, great. And um, two out of the next three picks are John Hightower and Quez Watkins, um, wide receivers from Boise State and Southern Miss, respectively. And this is Howie again saying that he wants that Chiefs model and he wants it for sure, not if one guy goes down or another guy goes down. He wants speed all day. And I say that because Hightower and Watkins are pretty much the same guy. In terms of physically, Hightower's 4.43, Watkins is 4.35. They're both just over six foot. They're both just about 185-ish pounds. Uh, so a little bit slight, really fast, definitely sort of more down the field receivers in their respective offenses. Um, but they really are to fill in behind Jackson, Rager, and Goodwin, Marquise Goodwin, who they picked up in free agency. It's the shotgun approach, and you can tell Peterson and his staff don't want to be caught short in that particular asset for their offense, which is down the field speed so they can open up everything underneath. And like you said, turn most things into a track meet and man coverage down the field. If you have that much speed running down the field, at some point it all becomes man. And they don't want that to be dependent on one player's health. Yeah. Like it's eventually you're going to get a guy that runs four, three matched up with a safety uh, down the field. Who same. doesn't? And that's that's your opportunity to strike. That's what the Chiefs do, and that's what they want to do. Last year, after Deshaun Jackson went down, uh, after that speed element left their offense, they they never really recovered from that. But in the first couple weeks, particularly week one when Djax was healthy, 
I mean, they were really, really, really good as a passing offense. They were top three, I think, in the NFL that week in terms of yards per play, and then 21st the rest of the year. So, again, it, speed makes a big difference. And now they're going from one guy on the team that runs 4-4 or better to now having five receivers on the current roster that run 4-4-3 or faster. So, uh, again, it's speed, speed, speed with this team. Love what Howie did. Um, and I also loved uh, the Jalen Hurts pick. It took a lot of guts. Overall, I'm a big fan of this class, and even if maybe it doesn't pay off as much in 2020, I think looking at 2021 and 22 and 23, this class is going to pay massive dividends for them. Yeah, and the guy they got down late, Prince Tagawanoga, was a guy we were really excited about seeing at the Senior Bowl. He got flagged medically, which is probably why he fell. We've talked about medical concerns being a bigger deal. Um, but honestly, I think he was the better of the two offensive tackles they took out of Auburn. Um, he's got great size, solid starting resume in the SEC. If he stays healthy, even as a quality swing tackle, because again, Philadelphia's ta- starting tackles right now are pretty decent. Um, that's amazing value. If not, he was around six pick, no harm, no foul. Yeah. I mean, you can never really have enough of them. And I guess since the only reason he fell was because of injury, I mean, might as well just kind of roll the dice and see what you got for a six rounder. Uh, Casey Tuhill, uh, I think we're both in agreement. That's a camp body, maybe special teamer at most. I would say special teamer. He's got a special teamer mentality for sure. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if he sticks. Um, I, I honestly think he's, you know, well, anyways, we'll just see. <laughs> we'll just see about that. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll leave Casey Tuhill at that. But overall, again, love this class. Uh, I don't care what you say, Eagles fans. You, you guys nailed it. Uh, moving on to Washington, again, kind of moving down geographically through the division. Uh, look, I'll just kind of read out the whole class, and then we'll kind of attack it bit by bit. Uh, round one, pick two, Chase Young, no-brainer. And then they didn't have another pick until the third round, where they took the very versatile Antonio Gibson, one of the more intriguing offensive weapons at any position in this class, mainly because he can play any position. Uh, round four, pick 108, took Sadiq Charles, offensive tackle out of LSU. And then their second fourth rounder, they got Antonio Gandy-Golden, a huge wide receiver out of Liberty, another Senior Bowl alum. Round five, well, they had two fifth-round picks. The first one with, was uh, Keith Ishmael, the center out of San Diego State, and then Kaliki Hudson, the linebacker out of Michigan. And then they had a pair of seventh-rounders as well, and Cameron Curl, the safety from Arkansas, and James Smith-Williams, James uh, Smith Williams, excuse me, the edge from NC State. So uh, I'll start with Chase Young, who, other than Joe Burrow, was kind of the most obvious pick in the draft, just because he's the best player in the draft, uh, regardless of position. He is the best pass rusher I have personally ever evaluated in terms of grade. I mean, I'm talking better than Miles Garrett, Judavian Clowney, Khalil Mack, Bradley Chubb, all these guys that have come out. Uh, Chase Young is better than all of them. Uh, in my opinion, he takes the same technical proficiency of the Bosa brothers who learned under Larry Johnson at Ohio State. You know, he takes a lot of the same techniques that they use, that classic kind of swipe rip and swipe uh, chop that they have, like all of those signature Bosa moves. He does the same ones, but in the athletic frame and explosiveness of Miles Garrett. So he's a better athlete, and he's bigger than both of them, but just as developed, which is a frightening thought. I think he can be 
Um, you know, a lot of people have compared him to Julius Peppers. I think he can have that kind of career, which is saying a lot. It's putting first ballot Hall of Fame expectations on, on a young kid here. But if there was any, and I mean any, pass rusher coming into the league out of the last, I don't know, 10 years that I would bank on being another Julius Peppers, it's Chase Young. Yeah, adding Chase Young where you have two quality starters and Kerrigan and Sweat might not seem like the play when your roster does have other holes. Washington, not one of the stronger rosters in the division overall. But then you watch Young's tape and it's the smart play. <laughs> yeah, you just Sometimes you just stay put and don't screw it up and Washington did that. There was a lot of talk about them trading that pick and what they could get for it. And look, there's probably a lot of value and they could have filled a lot of other holes. Are they going to get anyone with the quality of Chase Young? And the answer is no. You don't have to ask what position. Um, Chase Young is one of the most quality football players in the draft, uh, if not the most quality football player in the draft. They stayed put. They picked Chase Young. He's going to start for them for a long time. Uh, not There's no way to call that a bad pick. And then down to round three, where we talked about Antonio Gibson, they list him as a wide receiver. I really think they're going to play him at running back. I think most coaches around the NFL had come to the conclusion that Gibson's sort of best value or or most efficiency would come from getting him touches from the running back position. Can he play both? Yes, he played both. He's got size um, to play both. And he's got an amazing ability to bend the football field to his will, right? With his <laughs> speed way of and it. power. <laughs> it, it just, he looks like he can't make things happen. And then he does with just almost purely physical gifts. So he gives them a dimension. He gives Washington this dimension speed wise and top gear wise that they didn't necessarily have. Certainly not the running back position. It's got good size. The versatility is really cool. And the thing I think is really interesting, it makes him a little bit of a positionless player on offense. We talk about the defensive counterparts all the time. Oh, he's not a safety. He's not a linebacker. He's kind of positionless. But we don't talk about that on offense. We, we sort of hold rigidly to, oh, is he a wide receiver or is he a running back? Is he a slot receiver or is he a tight end? Like, what what is this guy? And Gibson, if anyone in this draft, is a little bit of a positionless player on offense. And if you're talking about matchups and you have to match up with a newly sort of positionless defense, Gibson is a weapon that allows you to do that. Um, so I guess my guess is most of his early reps will come in the running back spot. Hopefully Darius Geis comes back healthy and we can really see the offense sort of grow forward on the backs of or around these two. Um, and then, of course, Adrian Peterson's still there. We need to talk about Adrian Peterson sort of moving into Frank Gore-like territory right frank gore famously had big knee injuries plural peterson one big knee injury in his career he's now 35 years old he's still cranking out yards he had almost 900 rushing yards last year that's a hundred more than Le'Veon bell for those of you keeping track and if he keeps it up for just another <laughs> we're not year bitter or two, i promise <laughs> yeah well I'm, adam gase is not bitter well he was to start with but there you go um if Peterson keeps this up for another year or two, we're going to talk about him in the exact same way of, well, he's got to shut it down soon. He's 37 in a couple of years, right? My guess is he could still be somewhere if he wants to be putting up five or 600 yards for a team because he's just one of those guys that's incredibly physically gifted. He's going to play a role. We'll see how big. Hopefully, Geis is healthy and sort of minimizes that, and Gibson can come in and get some of those change of pace touches, but Overall, their running back room, if they do change, uh, choose to play Gibson at running back to start, is pretty well loaded. I kind of think they're going to run a lot of two back 
with Gibson and Peterson on the field or Gibson and Geis on the field uh, and just just to get them all on there. Because, again, when you look at, okay, just get the five best weapons we can find. Mm, Terry McLaurin's yeah. obviously going to be on the field. And then maybe Trey Quinn would be like their second best receiver. Kind of depends on how Antonio Gandy Golden comes along. But, you know, after that, it's like, okay, who's our five best weapons? I have to imagine that at least two of those running backs are going to be in the top five. So you might as well run a lot of two back and use Gibson on like sweeps or like misdirection to try to like pull defenders from the backside to help out Peterson and Geis, you know, put them in the slot. and Yeah, dare them motion to, match to the up. slot out of the backfield seems yeah. like a real natural for him and his skill set. How many teams have a linebacker that can run with him? Not a lot. Yeah. Eh. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. maybe three. Yeah, it, not it, not consistently. He is yeah, he's he's not exactly lightning in a bottle. He's not that super duper duper thin slice of top tier like Olympic speed. He's not but like Tariq Cohen, but but for a guy that's his size, over six foot, over two hundred pounds, he's damn fast. Yeah. I I I think he's going to end up on the field a lot, whether it's whether it's as a decoy or actually getting the ball. And I think it's going to be in a variety of ways. He's going to get carries. He's going to get catches. He's going to get screens. They'll probably get him involved in the return game. You know, yeah, he has special teams experience as well. So just yeah. one more thing that sort of gives him almost a guaranteed, you know, productive roster spot. If, if you're in a dynasty league and you're trying to find, okay, like outside of the top names, like who's that guy? Who's that guy I can get? You know, last year it was Terry McLaurin for me. I drafted him in literally all of my leagues uh, before, you know, kind of uh, the Terry fever caught on in September. And I benefited from that. This year I think I'm going to double dip with, uh, you know, skill players in D.C. and go after Antonio Gibson because I think – just when you look at the talent on the team, he's one of the most talented weapons they have. And usually talented guys find their way on the field. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what he does um, in the fourth round pick 108. So this was a full 42 picks later, long, long ways later. Uh, Sadiq Charles, offensive tackle LSU. To me, you know, he's not a uh, super great in pass protection i think he's okay he can survive but as a run blocker uh, i think he brings a lot of physicality and i think see if i'm refreshing myself on yeah so there's slated starting left tackle right now (laughs) oh you're cheating i was gonna uh, we were gonna play a game here (laughs) oh if you can name it can that's right out of curiosity yeah, Sadiq Charles has a good path to playing time at tackle if he picks up the scheme pretty quickly. He was more one of the more overlooked OTs in this year's class. I would say definitely second to lower second tier. But he's got a good starting resume in the SEC, which is nothing to sneeze at. And not much in front of him on the depth chart. So I will spot all the fans out there who are not Washington fans and say Morgan Moses because, A, they spent a you know high-profile pick on him. Uh, and, you know, entrenched as a starter as one of the tackles. Go ahead and name another Washington tackle besides... And Sheriff doesn't count. Nope. Besides <laughs> Morgan Moses. And if you can do that and you are not a fan of Washington, I am thoroughly impressed because I study the draft and have for the last 10 years, and I couldn't. 
for what it's worth, uh, so I, I knew they're slated starting left tackle before they took Charles. I'm pretty sure Charles is going to end up being the starting left tackle. But before they took him, their slated starter was somebody I had heard of, but I literally had no idea that he somehow ended up on Washington's roster. Cornelius Lucas. Oh, now that I know because I'm a Bears fan, right? And he just transferred. But if Cornelius Lucas is your starting left tackle, let me tell you, you Washington fans, (laughs) you better just get the bag now and cut the eye holes. Because that is not somebody you want protecting franchise assets as a starting left tackle. Like, he is an okay swing tackle, mostly at right, because he is a tremendously large human. He's 6'8", and fills out very nicely. Well, over 300 pounds was a, you know, half a head taller than everybody at Bears camp last summer. You'll definitely be able to see him on the field. But you'll also see him when he goes out in pass protection and lets guys through and just absolutely gets your quarterback turnstiled. So not a guy you want listed as a starter. But after that, and because, again, he's a new addition, most Washington fans are not probably familiar with Cornelius Lucas. After that, you know, him and Morgan Moses, go ahead and name any of those guys. And it's tough to do. So, again, Sadiq Charles can come in and if he picks up the scheme quickly, which is going to be a challenge this year in, in the current circumstance, that guy could get on the field real quick. Even if he doesn't pick up the scheme quickly, he's going to start. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> probably like, true too. They are that. Yeah, yeah, they got a bunch of bodies and it, that's what they are. They're a bunch of bodies. So, Do you think uh, Keith Ishmael is going to beat out Chase Rullier while we're on the topic of Ooh, this is line, really good. We'll, we'll skip Antonio Gandy-Golden and the massive receiving core for just a second because Keith Ishmael caught my eye and impressed me at the Senior Bowl. I had no idea. I'd watched most of the interior offensive linemen. That was a need for the Bears, the team I follow. Uh, so heading into the Senior Bowl, I'd most watched most of them. And here was a guy in a, you know, San Diego State helmet, and I was like, who is this guy? And he's a little bit undersized, but he is a fighter. He is technique savvy, and he won more reps than he lost. I thought, I got to I gotta understand who this is. It was Keith Ishmael. Um, caught my eye, impressed me at the senior role for sure. I didn't watch him before that, but I made sure to watch him after that. And he needs to get stronger, but he's got talent. I don't know if he's going to beat anybody out as a rookie because of that physical development, but down the road, I could see him being a starter. He's got the mentality for it. He understands what he needs to do. He's not physically able to do it sometimes. Um, But like I said, I think he won more than he lost at the Senior Bowl. Very scrappy, and I was very impressed for a guy that I didn't even know was going to be there. Um, I, I think a good pick for Washington. Yeah, I was trying to find if he had any wrestling in his background, and I couldn't. Sure looks it. Man, he looks it. I mean, I know a lot of centers do. Yeah, his his angle, the angles he takes, especially when he's trying to slide into double teams, um, his footwork, his his stance, the way he squats, he's, he's not a tall player to start with, but it keeps extremely low. Um, his balance is great. Um, those are all sort of wrestling hallmarks typically. So I don't know if he does, but he, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he did. I just, you can, you can tell a lot of the times when you see how they bend their back on mm-hmm. contact. Uh, and he, he just looks like a wrestler, like a natural wrestler. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of that pick. I think like you, I don't think he'll start as a rookie. Cause I think he I'd be surprised if he did, because there yeah. are some, definitely some guards <laughs> or, or sorry, some defensive tackles, uh, in the NFC East that could serve him as lunch physically. Dexter Lawrence would have a 
field day against him. Yeah, there's a couple uh, of guys. Sure. You know, Philly, Philly's got a couple of guys, right? Yeah, Fletcher Cox would yeah, love yeah. that matchup. Fletcher Cox so. versus Keith Ishmael is not tape I want to watch unless it's a snuff film. But, you know, <laughs> give him a couple of years and see what happens. Yeah, but, uh, I again, going back to Antonio Gandy-Golden because we kind of skipped over him, uh, you had a little interesting tidbit about the size of their receiving court yeah in doing research for these you find some interesting things sometimes and we liked antonio ganey golden again another senior bowl alum great size i think probably was better and more physically developed in terms of a route runner and a, and a hands catcher than we thought he might be so we said oh maybe there's maybe there's something here antonio ganey golden for those that don't know out of a very small school liberty 6'4, 220 something Big, big dude. Um, a great guy, too. Uh, very straight up on the character side. Um, but I thought, oh, he's going to add some size to their wide receiver core. So I get to the Washington roster, and I start digging through, and I realize that they have Kelvin Harmon, Emmanuel Hall, Cody Latimer, Cam Sims, Jordan Vesey, Jester Weah, and Isaiah Wright. And all of those guys, all seven of them are over 6'2 and over 200 pounds. Emmanuel Hall, a little bit light at 195. Every other guy on that list, over 6'2, Hall's or 6'3, and over 200 pounds. So I'm like, uh, maybe he's not adding that much yeah. size. Now, <laughs> not a lot of name recognition. Kelvin Harmon, yes, uh, you know, out of North Carolina the other receiver uh, out of North Carolina. Emmanuel Hall, very physically gifted out of Missouri, but was an undrafted free agent, was in Chicago's camp for a while. Cody Latimer has bounced around, started with Denver. Um, and the rest of those guys are just guys, but boy, they got a lot of size on that receiving core, even if not a lot of names. And, and I will say this uh, on Antonio Guinea-Golden. Fun fact, he's another one of those dudes who's just friggin' brilliant. Oh, I mean, he's like, the Rubik's Cube guy. Yeah, he's like an actual no bullshit genius. Yeah. Like like he should probably send a letter to Mensa and see if they want to like test him to get him in cuz he's he's that kind of brain. Um he ordered an extra large Rubik's cube. I think they're normally 3 by 3 if I remember correctly, and he ordered a 4 by 4, which mathematically is like way way like orders of harder, magnitude yes. way harder. Because he wanted the challenge, because uh, he felt like normal Rubik's cubes, he was solving too quickly. Like he he learned how to bowl, because he wanted to learn. Bowling. Oh, he this is wa- the story that kills me—the bowling one. Anybody that's ever bowled will have great appreciation for okay. this story. Imagine some six-four, two hundred twenty-pound athletic freak learning how to bowl, and then within two months bowling a perfect game. As, like everything this dude does, he's really good at it. He's I I can't imagine where he's going to be in three or four years because everything he touches, he's really freakishly good at it. I think if he went to a school that wasn't Liberty, like if he went to like a a big school with great coaches that could have like fully molded this freakishly athletic super genius, like he'd be like Lex Luthor. Like, like I. I <laughs> I don't know where he's going to be in a few years, but now that he's with an NFL coaching staff under Ron Rivera and Ron Rivera is a very good coach and, and he hires good coaches. Like I am very curious to see what he's going to be like in a couple years, because I mean, God damn, like he's, he's, he's an amazing talent. So I, I think uh, Dwayne Haskins is going to like him being on the team a lot. 
Yeah, I mean, I could, again, looking towards the future, which is always what you're trying to do with the draft, and you look at Terry McLaurin, uh, you know, Kelvin Harmon, if he continues to develop, and Antonio Ganey-Goldman, like, as a starting three, like, um, again, if they continue to march towards their potential, that's not bad. No, <laughs> that's not, not bad at, at all. all. Not at all. Um, what did you think of their the rest of their day three with Kaliki Hudson, Cameron Curl, and James Smith Williams? Yeah, I actually think Kaliki Hudson and Cameron Curl are a lot closer than people think they are. Uh, Kaliki Hudson, 5'11", 224. Cameron Curl out of Arkansas, 6'1", 206. Uh, one's listed as a linebacker, Hudson, the other Curl as a safety, but they're not that much different. Um, Hudson was one of those sort of hybrid, what is he, linebacker, uh, safety, you know, um, Akeem Davis Gaither was the other guy that was sort of like, oh, he's 220 yeah. on a good day. Is he a linebacker? Is he a box safety? Is it? And and we've seen a lot of these guys, dimebackers, people call them. Um, that's Kaliki Hudson. Um, had some good games at Michigan. Cameron Curl is really opportunistic. You mentioned Peanut Tillman a little bit earlier uh, this evening. And Curl is one of those guys really opportunistic around the ball. Likes to force fumbles. Decent hands on the interception. Has some uh, pure hands catches as interceptions, which you normally don't see out of safeties. He's got a little um, peanut punch to him. <laughs> yeah, little peanut punch, little speed, little special teams. Uh, interesting guys, both of them will probably start on special teams, but could see a role um you know on a, on the regular defense so um i thought they were good value picks again where they were picked um the other thing about cameron curl has special teams experience which is a great blend for a seventh rounder you know a guy that's opportunistic around the football played a little safety uh could slide down into the box and played special teams that that's a great value um for down where they got him james smith williams has a little bit of juice but more power um Again, if he can work his way into that particular rotation at his position uh, on Washington's defense for any meaningful snaps as a rookie, I would say anything between 50 and 100 snaps for the season would be a win for the scouting staff on a seventh-round choice. I I think the, the, the Hudson and the Curl picks were interesting because it seems like every year they take one. You know, is Josh Harvey Clemens, Sean Dion Hamilton, now Hudson and Curl. They've got like five guys on this team. And and I think they also have Kevin Pierre-Lewis too. Yes, they do. So like they have five guys with the same physical profile and they're just, they're working through them until they find one that sticks. And I think they're doing that because last year, especially their linebackers were awful in coverage. Like they, they did not have anybody that could play man. Uh, in zone, they didn't really have the range to play that either. Not to mention their linebackers in general. Um, uh, Ruben Foster, I think after he got hurt was kind of the one notwithstanding, but, um, all the other ones besides Ruben, like they were out of their run fits constantly. Like no matter what Deron Payne did, like there, there was nothing he could do you know, he's eating doubles. He's playing, he's taking away both a gaps and the linebacker still could not get into the fit. So linebacker was a massive problem for them in the last year, especially in coverage. So they're just taking as many light guys as they can um, to kind of play that role. They brought in Thomas Davis, just somebody who knows the defense. John Bostic is there, but I mean, 
barely. Like they're hoping Ruben <laughs> Foster can be the other starter. They're hoping that Cole Holcomb can develop into something, which maybe he can. I was actually a fan uh, of Cole. Pierre Holcomb. Lewis played really well in limited role last year in Chicago, and when he got to a starting role, he surprised. He's been, you know, career special teamer, a guy that I've followed. I really liked him coming out of Boston College, and he played much better than I expected him to. Um, and you know, got him a contract. One thing I can guarantee you, though, Washington's linebacking court not probably going to be a problem. <laughs> Yeah, Rivera and Thomas Davis come to town. Your linebacking problems are pretty much over. Like they understand linebacking. If no other position, or 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 even better than every other position on the field, Ron Rivera, former linebacker, Thomas Davis could be a coach immediately with as well as he's played for as long as he has in the league. Um, your problems are fixed. <laughs> like my, they're gonna my find. My feeling a way. is that I think they brought in Thomas a to. I think they signed him before the the pandemic, if I yep. remember correctly. Yep. Um, but his signing became all that more important after the pandemic when there's literally no offseason. And they need a guy that knows the system and can come in and play without an offseason and teach these young guys what the hell to do. Yep. Uh, so and I think Thomas it. Davis was honestly their most important signing out of anybody, uh, you know, maybe other than Chase Young. Like, because they need somebody who can come in and play day one, or else it would be an absolute disaster. So, uh, it was a prudent signing at the time, and it became a crucial signing about a month after that, just by sheer happenstance. Um, but anyway, after actually, no, that was all. That was all they had. Yeah. They only had that's they it. Only had those eight picks. Wow, I thought they had more. Oh no, I guess I'm thinking of the Vikings. They had a million freaking picks. But <laughs> overall, Other you're not. <laughs> Other NFC, not the not the largest class for Washington, but very solid. Addressed some needs, uh, especially some glaring needs at left tackle. Very uh, very high upside players in Gibson and Gandy Golden. Um, some interesting special teams guys, and then a generational pass rusher in Chase Young. Overall, very very solid class. And that brings us to the uh, last team in the NFC East. Even though they play in Texas, you'll never get me to understand why the divisions are structured the way they are sometimes, but historical rivalries are historical rivalries. And this is the division and how it's going to be forever. Uh, it's, it's Dallas versus the world, especially in the East. But uh, I think the Cowboys had, I don't want to say one of the top three classes, but I would feel comfortable putting them in the top five or six. I think just from the sheer talent they got in the top of the draft in CD lamb Trayvon Diggs, Neville Gallimore, like that's a pretty strong three. And I'm not even the biggest Diggs fan, but getting CD at pick 17 and getting Neville, Neville Gallimore at pick 82, I mean, back to back, massive values with an okay pick and Diggs sandwiched in between. You got Reggie Robinson in the fourth round, Tyler Biotish in the fifth, Bradley Anai, another massive value in the fifth, and then Ben DiNucci in the seventh. Again, I don't know if I would put them above Denver, Cleveland, or the Jets, but I would feel very comfortable saying that Dallas had probably a top five class in the whole league. Um, Strongly in the second tier, for sure, and I don't say that as any kind of backhanded compliment. I think they did very, very well. Again, I think the draft fell to them in a way that was really beneficial. Look, Dallas needed firepower at the wideout position, and they end up getting one of the best wide receivers if not the best wide receiver overall in a historically deep class at pick 17 i doubt they thought he was going to be there um 
made their choice very easy. Uh, he's tremendous, C.D. Lamb, and the duo he forms with Amari Cooper should make NFC East defensive backs think about their A-plus game if they even hope to match up. Dak has well, got to be... Gallup's re- there, too. Yeah, uh, but again, if you're talking about Cooper, Gallup, and Lamb, like through the alpha too like you're, you're not bringing Gallup into the discussion yeah. he's a good compliment i agree uh but he's not cd lamb and he's definitely not amari cooper so dak's got to be crazy pleased he's got a bunch of options the offense is officially loaded they're set at running back with zeke um i think blake jarwin's probably a better tight end than he gets credit for the offensive line has been very very good uh, it's loaded with talent um that offense is tough to find a hole in before it was kind of okay who's your number two or even number three wide receiver now it's nope that's not a weakness anymore not when you pick cd lamb at 17 large receiver great body control um physical good speed great routes uh like i said one of the best in a loaded loaded historically loaded class and uh you know he ends up wearing a star on his helmet. I'm sure Jerry is pumped, um, famously happy about players from the Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma as a state in general, but Oklahoma University as well. Um, great, great pick by them. Trayvon Diggs, I'm the same as you. He wasn't my favorite CB in the class, but he has size. He has a lot of experience against very good wide receivers. He's going to get to practice against some great ones. If he dials in a few things, I went back and looked at my report for for Diggs to say, why why didn't I like him as much as I like some of the others? If he dials in three things, he's going to improve rapidly in the pros. And they're not, uh, one of them is a difficult thing to do, I think, um, from talking to defensive backs coaches. But the other two aren't. His response to the stop comeback route right now is, it's terrible. Like, and that's a technique thing. That's not a physical thing. He has the physical gas to keep up with those routes. He doesn't play it correctly. That's a footwork thing, a leverage thing, a balance thing. And he can get better at that. That is something you can coach out of him. The other one is something you can coach out of him too. It's a little harder to drive out of a player, but keeping his head up when he tackles. He had some notably awful reps trying to tackle players especially in the lsu game because he drops his head when he tries to tackle and the offensive player to be fair to be fair clyde edward Tolaire is like an actual demigod so i get it but (laughs) it wasn't just Tolaire, right uh jamar chase had a couple of these too in that same game he drops his head when he tries to tackle and the offensive player either puts their hand on the back of his helmet and pushes him down or just you know jukes at that moment and he misses him um so he's not a bad tackler he's a physical tackler uh but he's got to keep his head up when he tackles and the other one is his habit and this is a weird one i can't figure this out because it doesn't seem like a technique that saban or his coaches would teach but he has a habit of turning away from rather than with the wide receiver and he has the tools to turn and run with almost anybody he's really good at that um but it makes him have a longer sort of recovery path to the wide receiver and it makes his approach usually right when the ball is getting there a little bit awkward and i think he could minimize a lot of that if he turned with the wide receiver and not away from him not sure why he does that but again figure out the stop comeback route keep your head up when you tackle and figure out how to turn with as opposed to against the wide receiver and like digs could improve very rapidly yeah that that turn so it's a 
it's kind of a, a weird thing that, that saving defenses do. Well, I don't say weird. It's just kind of what they do. Um, in certain coverage calls when they're in too high, um, especially in too high, whether it's quarters or like a two read, um, they, they do a zone turn and they'll kind of carry the receiver. Uh, so like they, they start out like in press and then they zone turn, like face the quarterback while the receiver's running down the boundary. And they do that because they're supposed to key on the number two receiver to see if they break out to the flat mm. so they could do what's called a trap call and break on that. Um, but what that what the disadvantage, as you said, is if the number two receiver doesn't break out, they're still supposed to carry that number one down the boundary. But if you're not looking at him, yeah. sometimes he can kind of get away from you. And if the safety is supposed to bracket over the top and help out, but if the safety's eyes get caught on something, uh, then you're basically just not being able to see the receiver while being two steps behind and running down the boundary and hoping they don't throw a perfect ball right at you. So it's it's not supposed to be a risky coverage, but if you're not perfectly in sync with the safeties, it kind of is. And he just didn't really have the recovery that you're supposed to to make that work. And I think offenses started to figure that out of like, hey, if we just like don't give him the number two receiver to trigger on, we're going to get that matchup down the boundary and it's bombs away. You know, LSU exploited yeah. that repeatedly. Yeah, so, and he did make, I mean, he did make recoveries athletically. Again, this is yeah. not a guy that's limited with length or speed, but it just made the angle and the approach sort of desperate and awkward. And it was a little late. Yep. You know? And he was more forced to break up the ball after it was already kind of a catch. And he did that sometimes as well. So it's not that he can't do that. I just think he could make his life a lot easier. And maybe the Dallas coaches will do that for him by saying, eh, <laughs> run that one just, out of just, ten just times. Just play man, kid. Yeah, just play man. <laughs> really turn with him and run because you're actually really good at that. And that's, I think, what the coach's responsibility is, is to say, look, these are your strengths. We're going to put you in a position to succeed. We're not going to ask you to sort of stay um, religious to a coverage that puts you in a bad spot. So I hope they do that because he's got a lot of talent and, it, you know, He's not a bad corner. I don't want us to give the impression that, you know, us saying we didn't like him as much as some other very talented corners means that he's bad or not worth the pick. Um, I think he could develop really quickly. So the next guy is one of our yeah. favorites. <laughs> Neville Gallimore, defensive tackle out of Oklahoma. And the first thing I want to say to anybody that hasn't watched Neville Gallimore is dude can run flat yeah. out fly for a guy at his size he's over 300 pounds love the explosion and the penetration in his game um you look at that rotation now for the dallas interior offensive line it's don terry poe gerald mccoy tristan hill and gallimore they have some firepower they have some penetration they have some disruption on the inside of that defensive interior and teams typically hate that they really don't like interior pressure and Dallas has got four players right there that can help create it. So Gallimore is a really interesting add. And like you said, at pick 82, a, a grand value. Yeah, he was a uh, uh, defensive tackle, th uh, no, four, because I had Ross Blacklock at three. So he was DT four for me. And to get your fourth rated DT at 82 is highway robbery. So um, it, that again, that first, second, third, 
trio for the Cowboys was as good as anybody else in the league, honestly. It's it's right up there with the um, Becton, Mims, Ashton Davis trio that we talked about last episode that was so damn good. Like, that one's right there with it. Um, Reggie Robinson from Tulsa was their fourth-round pick. I think that was probably appropriate value for him. I know some people liked him as like a third. I wasn't part of that club. But in the fourth, at 123 overall, I'm all about it. Yeah, especially when you just lost Byron Jones, right? Yeah. One of the best things about Byron Jones is he has the ability to play corner, played it very well, but he also can rotate to safety with his size, uh, come forward, lay a hit on people. Robinson's not quite as physically solid as Jones, um, about the same height, a little bit lighter. Um, But in terms of his experience and the versatility and the roles he's played, he's much more likely to replace that piece of Byron Jones for the Cowboys than Diggs is because he can flop between safety and corner. And even at the senior bowl, we heard that like, well, is he a safety or is he a corner? And the answer is, does it really matter? He's back to that kind of positionless <laughs> defense. Put him on the field. We'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And he was very productive. Um, I'm with you. Fourth round was the right place in terms of value to take him. Dallas was the right team in terms of needing to fill the hole of Byron Jones. Is Reggie Robinson going to slot in and replace Byron Jones a hundred percent? No, but he can take 70 or 75, or maybe if they're lucky, 80% of those snaps that Byron Jones vacated and somebody else can pick up the other 15 to 20. Right. And that just feels like a good slotting and a a solid landing place for Robinson because he's, you know, if anything, I don't want to say replacing, but he is trying to fill in for a player that was used in a very similar way. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the two pack of fifth rounders and Tyler, Tyler Biotish and Bradley and I, two value picks in my opinion. Biotish, I had uh, about a fourth round grade on, so getting him in the fifth is decent value. Bradley and I, I had a kind of a late three, early four, so getting him late five is exceptional value. Uh, is Biotish going to start over Joe Looney? Probably not, but I think having a good backup center that has starting potential, uh, you know, midway through day three, again, great value. That's really all you can ask for on day three is getting guys who, even if they don't start immediately, you're not killing yourself if they have to. Um, you know, especially with some of the injury issues that Dallas has had in the offensive line the last couple of years, you, you kind of need that depth, especially as that line ages. So great pick for that. And then uh, Bradley and I, we've talked a few times about kind of easy paths to getting snaps for day three guys, like going to teams where there's really not a whole lot there and you can see them hitting the field early. For a fifth round pick, Bradley and I is going to get a hell of a lot of snaps at edge. Because really all they have is Demarcus Lawrence and Tyrone Crawford, and that's about it. Yeah, he joins this rotation of, again, this is when you look at a roster and you sort of forget how it all got assembled and you just look at what ended up there. Um, I'd forgotten who they had, and he joins this list of long, rangy outside athletes that I was enamored with when they were in the draft, right? Um Lawrence is obviously the headliner, both in terms of production and contract and everything else, but they've got Tyrone Crawford, Dorrance Armstrong, Jalen Jelks, right? All these guys that I was pretty, pretty high on in the draft, again, as sort of mid-round edges with length and versatility, that kind of hybrid nature. Obviously, the Cowboys thought the same way. So I look at these guys and go, yeah, and then I look at 
I look at the production, and outside of Lawrence, um, they just lack sack production. Um, Armstrong had two last year in his second year, and that was it. He was the he was the top sack producer besides Lawrence, um, who didn't have that many last year. Anai was being talked about um, at least at some point. Um, as maybe a bottom first rounder, top second rounder, one of the top edges in this class, I think as people got to his tape, they realized some of his athletic limitations and where some of his production came from. But where the Cowboys got him is just, uh, yeah, let's just call that obscene value. Anai is a guy that could come in, contribute to Dallas' sack production as a rookie, um, and again, his path to playing time is beating out guys that have produced, you know, one or two sacks for Dallas overall, their top five sackers, um, you know, three out of the top five are gone. Quinn Bennett and Collins all moved on this year. We talked about Lawrence being one of them and who's the fifth. It's one of their defensive backs, Jordan Lewis. So there's wide open opportunity there. You got one edge who historically has had a great sack season and then last year had six and a half. You've got a defensive back that had four and a half sacks last year and then nobody else. Everybody else is gone. Quinn had a lot of By the way, you, you, for, you forgot one, by the way. I forgot one what? One extra long, rangy edge rusher. Oh, did I? Te- technically on the team. Technically on, oh. Alden Smith. Yes. Yes, I guess I did. That might have been a not so terribly Freudian slip, <laughs> <laughs> but no. Again, yeah. Look, Dallas will take chances on those guys. They they have and Randy shown. Gregory also, yeah. I think, technically counts too. Yeah, they've. But they've, you know, again, yeah. you're 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 talking about what is that? Six guys that have like thirty four plus inch arms. <laughs> oh yeah, no, <laughs> and, they, and then Bradley they definitely <laughs> in looking at who has filled out their roster, they definitely have a type right yeah and anai actually strangely doesn't really fit that type he's a little bit more compact a little bit more muscular he's not small um but his production uh is better than those guys even in college like he was more productive in college than those guys were and hopefully that carries over for the cowboys because they took a chance on him but really not that much of a chance right this is a guy that again was being talked about in the high second round at the lowest low third round range he gets a picked in the deep fifth right if you get any kind of edge pressure any kind at all in the deep fifth i don't care if you pick up four or five sacks rotationally in the deep fifth that is a that's a massive win right and he's a better pass rusher than a lot of the guys that went ahead of him i mean technically speaking totally agree like in terms of technique wise he is one of the most versatile technicians in this whole class i mean down to the senior bowl in the yeah, one showed out at the was, senior bowl in the game oh my sure. god he murdered people yeah i mean the the variety that he showed i mean he's showing rips he's showing chops and spins and speed rushes you know one arm bowls like everything he has everything in his arsenal and to get that kind of guy again he's not a great athlete yeah it's a little stiff to get a little stiff not super fast but that kind of technician Again, just get like five, six sacks. Like for a fifth round pick, if you're just contributing that and having some special teams value, just add a little value to the room. Again, you're, you're, the bar you have to beat is like 
two sacks from Dorrance Armstrong. Freaking yep. Demarcus Lawrence had five sacks last year. Now he was top seven in the league in pressures from the left side, which is, you know, he plays left end. So it, he was top seven in the league in terms of pressures, but he didn't have a lot of sack production. So if we can just get Bradley and I to finish off some of those pressures and get some sacks out of them, Again, just chip in five or six here and there. That's all you need to make that pig worth it, and I think he's going to. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not betting against him, and I'm certainly not betting against him in the fifth round. I don't think I would have bet against him in the third, just based on what we saw. Combination of on tape and at the Senior Bowl, never thought he was a first round edge rusher. Really didn't think he was even a second because, again, just not athletically. There are athletic thresholds that make a bigger difference for edge players than in a lot of other positions that are sort of minimums. He was borderline on a few of those. And so I can see the hesitation, but in the fifth, throw the measurements out, look at the tape, look at the production at the senior bowl against a lot of the guys, right. That he's going to be playing against. And he, you know, lights came on and he produced and uh, again, was at a very physical defensive program at Utah. Um, He's got as much chance as any of those guys to produce. So uh, when you round out the Dallas draft, Lamb, Diggs, and Gallimore to start it off, awesome. Robinson, a true fit for them with Byron Jones moving on. Biotish feels like such a Cowboys pick. Some teams just pick certain positions well, and Dallas has kind of nailed the interior offensive line for a while. Travis Frederick, Zach Martin, Connor Williams converting him from tackle out of Texas. This just feels like a continuation of that. Again, Biotish had an injury issue, but feels like he could plug in and play the interior, any of the three interior spots on that offensive line for a long time. Uh, and then an eye in the fifth, come on, like that's just crazy value. So um, yeah. Anything else to say about the NFC East? Uh, it's, as usual, it's going to be a bloodbath. I can yeah. guarantee you that. All of your preconceived notions about what are about to happen, guarantee you, they don't matter. Whatever you think is going to happen in this division is never what happens. So we can say all we all we want about how Dallas is the favorite or how the Eagles are going to come back healthy and get the revenge, like whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't even want to make a prediction on the NFC East because it's literally pointless. And it's, don't you dare in 2020, because 2020 will just smack you upside the yeah, head. You'll 2020 be like, thought, doesn't give a shit. <laughs> That's right. Like, I thought this was going to happen. 2020 is like, oh, yeah, hold my beer. So NFC East predictions is the last thing I'm going to be offering up in this particular year. But a lot of talent comes into the division. Um, I hope we helped you make some sense of picks that maybe you thought didn't make any sense based on scheme, uh, coaching, uh, positional need, roster building, all those things come into it. And all these teams approached it with a plan. Uh, and I think did pretty well. So you want to get us out of here? Yeah, guys, we're actually getting these under an hour 40 now. So, um, that's progress. <laughs> we're, we're start. We're, we're not dragging world, on as that's much. That's progress in our world. Is, you know what? What can you say? We're we're like four drinks into the night. But hey, we're we're getting better. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, we'll be back next week with uh, probably hit the southern divisions. Is my best guess: mm, AFC probably, South, NFC yeah. South. You know, I guess we can wax poetic about my Houston Texans for a little bit. I'm going to need some extra alcohol for that one, but uh, that's future Brett's problem. So, again, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you back next week talking about the South and the other South. And until then, later. Later.